everybody, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and this is The Artist and the Athlete. As a journalist, I have covered some of the biggest names and events in sports. What I've learned from the sidelines to the racetrack to the sports center set at ESPN is everyone has a story, and we've got a lot more in common than we think. On this show, I'm bringing together the biggest stars in sports and my other love, music. Each episode is a casual conversation about life on and off the big stage, the process, making it, the highs and lows, and the fun stuff in between. These athletes and artists take us behind the scenes and into their worlds when the lights go down. This is The Artist and the Athlete with Lindsay Zarniak. This episode of The Artist and the Athlete made my face hurt. I was laughing so hard because Clayton Kershaw and Brad Paisley are hilarious together. Kershaw, by the way, got to tell you this, in the middle of this talk, may have belted out a 90s ballad at the top of his lungs. Okay, so let me tell you about Brad. He's one of country music's biggest stars, hit songwriter, three-time Grammy winner with 24 number one hits. Winner of CMA Entertainer of the Year, which is considered by many the Holy Grail of Country Music Awards. Also one of, if not the... Dodgers' biggest fans. Clayton Kershaw is one of the greatest pitchers of his generation, an eight-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young winner. He is one of only two pitchers in the past 25 years to win his league's MVP. I covered Clayton for years at ESPN, and I was so happy to finally see him earn what had eluded him for so long, leading the Dodgers to the World Series championship last season, snapping that 32-year drought for the LA franchise. But I assure you, I wasn't as happy as Brad. These two aren't just fans of one another. They're close enough to be vacation buddies. We're going behind the scenes in the clubhouse. We find out what Clayton has decided to do for the first time ever next season. We're also talking boogie boards, Peyton Manning, and Brad's pre-show superstition. That is, well, you've just got to hear it for yourselves. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I am so pumped because today I am joined by Clayton Kershaw, World Series champion and country music superstar, Brad Paisley. You guys, I just want to say thank you so much because the thing I loved looking into this and and really vibing and getting into the backgrounds is you guys are both, you're like mirror images of each other in terms of the accomplishments that you've had, but you're also like really great friends, right? And good dudes. I like to think we are. I mean, I think Clayton's like, yeah, I met him. (laughs) That's not true. We've had some good times. We got to hang out a little bit and, um, you know, I wish we were in the same city more, but yeah, I think the times we're going to spend out are pretty fun. So how'd you come to know each other? Uh, it's interesting. I became a big Dodger fan in the early two thousands as I started dating an actress and, uh, ended up marrying said actress and was living in you LA. You can say her name. Time. No, I can't. I'm not allowed actually legally to say her name anymore. It's a weird restraining order thing. Now, Kim, when I when I married Kim, um, you know, I was out in L.A. a lot. So I started going to games out there and then we had kids and I started taking the kids and I just became a big, big fan of everything this team is and has been for a long time and and uh, became a huge fan of Clayton as a person. And then a couple of times Clayton reached out uh, to see if I could do his charity event. And I could never do it before. And then one time I finally, I think I might've reached out to you and just said, look, if you ever, like, don't stop asking. I, I'm, I'm available if you ever need me to do this. And I, and I couldn't do it one year or something. And then, and then out of the blue, he asked about, he's like, look, I know you're, you're like hosting the CMAs. We've lost it was Montgomery Gentry was going to be your right, right. Uh, was going to be your musical guest uh, for your charity the year that Troy, ugh, and and uh, yeah. So he's like, I he's like, I know you'll be busy because it's the day after the CMA Awards, and um, he's like, but could 
you know, could you maybe point me in the direction of an artist that would want to do this? And, um, I said, yeah, I, I want to do this. <laughs> I was like, wow, it was amazing. You know, I mean, I, you know, the CMAs is such a huge undertaking, you know, what Brad and Carrie have done for so long. And, um, I was like, there's no way Brad's going to want to do this after all that. And just kind of shows the type of guy he was. Cause you know, after, you know, the passing, we were just like, we were kind of in a bind as far as what to do with our artists. And sure enough, Brad came down. I mean, I think we gave him, you know, a week or 10 days notice or something. And, uh, it was, it was incredible that he did that. And then from there, we just started hanging out a little bit at a time. And I saw him in LA some, and I saw him in Nashville a little bit as well. And, um, yeah, it's just been fun to get to see how he, how he does his I've, thing. I've watched you, I've watched you boogie board. Oh yeah, we did that. Yeah. I've been destroyed by waves. Oh. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah. where was that in Turks and Caicos? Did I see that you guys vacationed together? Yeah. Back when you could remember vacations. Oh yeah. I do remember that. Those were fun <laughs> when you could go places. Oh, Hey, do you remember how bad I got beat up by doing that boogie boarding? Do you remember that? I was supposed, you're yeah, supposed you to wear, yeah, you're supposed to wear like a wetsuit because the board is so tethered or whatever. And I, I couldn't shower for a week after that. I was so ripped. Yeah, you looked like you had been. Those guys uh, were just laughing at me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, so what's Brad Paisley like on vacation? Yeah, very chill. Just and, and relaxes, enjoys. Just wants to chill, hang out, eat good dinners, cigars. Oh, uh, don't start with the cigars, okay? Don't start with that. Don't just <laughs> drink some good whiskey and hung out. Yeah. And was there ping pong playing? Oh, there was actually on that trip. I didn't do very well. Yeah, Brad's getting into it. I might be better now, though. It's been a while. I might be better now. Yeah, we can play again. I'm not going to be better than him, though. Yeah, well, that was like my thing growing up. Like, we, as cool as we were in high school, that was like our thing. We'd play ping pong all weekend. Like, that was that and Smash Brothers, and that was our, I mean, we were really cool, but that's what we did. Mm -hmm. I had a life, so I didn't get good at it. <laughs> That's so fair. I mean, you were grinding. You were at it. Oh, yeah. So what, what's it been like for both of you guys, you know, during this this quarantine situation? How have you been passing your time? And Clayton, I mean, the I know like last time I felt like I paid attention. You were saying that it hadn't sunk in yet that you're a World Series champion, right? So what's this been like for you? It's been awesome. I mean, obviously, um, not getting to celebrate in L.A. and be with the fans is yeah. Um, you know, it's been tough because I've been dreaming of that ever since, you know, we've I've been out there and getting, you know, it's been 32 years since the Dodgers have won a World Series. So, um, I, you know, obviously when it's safe to do so, we're going to do it and it's going to be awesome. And uh, I look forward to that day. But um, I think I just like just just a huge weight lifted to be able to finally do it, I think is probably the best way to describe it. And now that that has kind of sunk in and um, it just makes me happy, honestly, just to think that we did it. And it was a weird year, obviously, and um, to get to go through some of the things we did and have the expanded playoffs and make it through that and still come out to be the best team and um, get to say that we finally were the team that stopped the Dodgers from losing after 32 years has been um, it's been awesome. And I, I love it. And um, I like I, I joke around that I listen. We are the champions all the time around the house, but I kind of do and I kind of love it. And it's kind of awesome. So I'm just I'm just enjoying it. Yeah. That's awesome. Who like who reached out to you after that, that that really meant something to you besides Brad? Yeah, Brad did and Kendall both did. And um, just I think that was the coolest part is just to see how many people were obviously happy for the Dodgers because every family has a story, right, about what the Dodgers mean to them and their families. And, um, you know, whether it's their grandfathers that passed it down to them or um, new fans or whatever, everybody was just had their story. But to see how many people were just happy for you know, our team and myself personally to finally get over that hump and do it was just, was just so cool to see. And I was just so thankful to get those text messages and, um, really see how many people cared about myself personally and, um, just how happy they were for me. It was really cool. And Brad, I mean, I know like you're, a, you're a Clayton fan, but you're a Dodgers fan beyond that. Like you said, what, what was it like for you watching it unfold? I mean, it's the, it was one of the most stressful <laughs> two weeks and between the NLCS and that, I mean, Mm -hmm. My dad and I got together. I've got a bar. Clayton's been there. We've got a bar in the house. It's really great little like a whiskey bar, sports bar vibe in my recording studio. And my dad and I got together. It's, you know, COVID time. So you couldn't have the whole community over like we would have. I would have had 30 people here to watch. It was I think it was game four. 
And I'm, and we're thinking, okay, this seals the deal for Clayton to win, get the win tomorrow, and and knock this thing out. And we we watched that whole game, and there we, <laughs> I mean, everything to the the play that will live in infamy at the end. There, I mean, just just the com- comedy of errors that led to me throwing and breaking things in that bar. I was so mad. I mean, to me though, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I don't think I would change it now. It's like looking back at how it all went down. It should have been that hard. It shouldn't have been a four-game sweep. It should have been that hard to get over the hump, I think. Of course, I don't know how he feels. But for me, it was an amazing couple of weeks of the distraction that all all Dodger fans and all baseball fans needed this year, I think. Yeah, I'll take it any way I can get it, but it was awesome. Right. Yeah, what do you think about that? Is, is there something to that, or would you have preferred the sweep? Like Brad, I just any any win I would have taken. You know, I don't care how it happened. We we just did it, and um, you know, I think about just like how the the path that we've been as a team, and then myself personally. And I mean, there's been some failure in there. You know, every postseason we've gotten there, and I haven't we haven't been able to get over the hump. Myself personally, same thing. So I think there is a little bit of like uh, uh, like nostalgia, maybe, or I don't know whatever the word is, but um, to be able to have a little bit of a struggle there and go seven games in NLCS and then go six games in the world series. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just awesome to be a part of special team. And, uh, it, it was just great. I remember watching, um, you know, I'm, I'm from Washington, DC, the Virginia area right outside and, um, the, the Virginia state right outside. I said the area, this the state, the state of Virginia. Um, and I remember just feeling like I was going to vomit, like watching as they were so close, you know, in last year and, and in that game seven, I mean, I, I just was like, I really physically can't believe that this is about to happen. And it was just, I, I still, if I think about it, it makes me cry. You know, it's, it's amazing. Well, it makes me cry too, for different reasons that I can talk yeah, about yeah. now. Yeah. I, I lost it this year. I mean, I killed me. It just killed me when you guys finally won just, and you know, what killed me was later on, like seeing some of the videos too of, and you saw them that the, that the Dodgers put together of like, people filming their families as, yeah, as, that as, was so cool. yeah, as so the cool. last out was recorded. I mean, it was just like, yeah. you realize that baseball is so much bigger than just, just stats or, you know, it's, it matters. It matters to cities. It matters to, to all of these things. And, and the thing that for me, it matters so much about is the kind of guy that Clayton is the kind of guys that, that JT and, and Jock and just everybody, I mean, you guys are good people and it's like, and especially, you know, and with Clayton and Mookie and the, and the, it's just, these are really good people. Clayton does so much for other human beings to just help people and all over the world. He utilizes a celebrity better than anybody I've ever seen uh, in any sport or entertainment. I, I just really believe he's, you know, he deserved this in every way. So it was emotional. It was really like, it felt bigger than baseball in, in every way. Thanks, man. I always say to people, it's like when you see, when you see success with Clayton, like somebody's like, what's Clayton like? And I'm like, when you see him successful, that means other people are going to benefit from that. You know, he's going to do good things with it. And that's not always the case with sports. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, that that's, I think that's what music does too, right? Don't you think? And actually, Brad, you bring up, that's interesting because we were talking about before just the importance of music to athletes and the importance of sports to musicians, you know? I wish I'd written We Are the Champions at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, we are lucky that we had success, so we're able to influence a group of people and um, you should do good things with that. I mean, I've just always been told that. I, that started for me, and I think with Clayton, it's his upbringing and and it, you know, actually the main the main driving force probably in Clayton being a good person is Ellen. But um, that's true. Yeah. But in our case, my parents started me down this path when I was young, and I started singing as a teenager in my hometown and getting booked solid because they're like, "Hey, this teenager, will, this this kid will play at our Rotary Club luncheon. Let's get him." You know, it's like 50 bucks and he'll, he'll sing Jingle Bells at Christmas. It's great. <laughs> and I was raking it in, you know, it was a solo act, but it was like, um, one of the things my parents would make me do is go sing for nursing homes and stuff. 
and say, and, and they're like, and you're not going to take any money from them because that was, it was just a really good influence. It was like, it was like, look, you're going to do some fun gigs and things like that, but if you can entertain people, why don't you go entertain the people that really need it? And, um, and so I was lucky that I was given that perspective. That's like, okay, always give back. Was that your situation too, Clayton? Was it, um, just in terms of like how you started? Well, um, you know, I think for me, it was just the platform. You know, I think Brad does such a great job of, you know, he's a nat- like world renowned country singer that everybody in the world knows who he is. And because of that, um, they love his music. And because of that, he's got the platform to do some amazing things. And so what he's doing with the store and different things in Nashville and things like that is just, you know, the same deal. Like you get to use your platform to get to do some really cool things. And like he said, because we um, play baseball, you know, play guitar. He can probably play baseball better than I can play the guitar, but it's just like, uh, um, you get to, you get to some amazing opportunities that are, you know, beneficial, obviously selfishly for you, but then also you can impact other people. And, um, Brad's right. I think Ellen really helped me understand that. You know, I think, uh, you know, I married her, like basically she was right out of college and, um, she had always had this passion of Africa. Wait, and, different and how, real quick, because I want to hear this story. Where did you guys meet? High school. Yeah, we met in high okay. school. And then she decided to go to college, which was probably good. And then I I did, <laughs> I did minor league baseball for a while, and then we got married after that. But um, she wanted to help. Long story short, she wanted to help this little girl named Hope in Africa. And she had met her. She'd been on a few trips over there, um, mission trips. And she wanted to help Hope, and it turned into Kershaw's Challenge, our charity today, and um, got different beneficiaries all over the world. And something that we didn't really plan for, but I think it was always helpful to know that baseball can be used to impact a lot of people. And um, it's just really cool to see because I feel like for every baseball question I answer or person I talk to about baseball, there's probably two questions about our nonprofit and different things that we're doing, yeah. which I think is which I think is awesome. In your upbringing. How did that influence, you know, your, your philanthropy also? Well, just, I think just my faith first and foremost is probably the the biggest thing. Just understanding that, you know, baseball is a gift. You know, I didn't do anything to be able to throw a baseball well. Um, You know, just Brad's probably the same way. He probably just had, you know, his creativity and different things like that are just, you know, God given, you know, there's not, there's not anything that you can do. And obviously the work ethic and different things can help you cultivate it. But um, at the end of the day, knowing that we didn't do anything to deserve the gifts that we have here and um, just trying to use it as best we can to impact other people. All right. So now I want to take a little bit of a left turn real quick and get in the zone, AutoZone. AutoZone's America's number one battery destination, as many of you may know. So I live in my car. It's like my second home. Just ask my kids. But here's the deal. If your car won't start, if you've ever had this issue, if it starts weekly or you're hearing a clicking, likely that is a battery issue. So here are some of the things I've learned from my friends at AutoZone. I did not know cold weather is a killer for car batteries. Also, heated seats, which I live by in the cold Connecticut winters, they are one of the biggest power drains. So that is why it's so smart to stop by AutoZone when you need to check in things. Also, most batteries, they have the lifespan of an NFL running battery three to five years. So if your battery is three or older, you might want to get it checked out or replaced. And AutoZone is a place I would absolutely recommend you go to get your free battery testing at every single store. That's where you can do it. AutoZone also offers free battery charging. So you may be able to bring a dead battery back to life. Who else can do that? Get in the zone, AutoZone. I was really excited to get into the songwriting in this conversation and also to hear Clayton's perspective since he is actually in a Brad Paisley music video. But to me, Brad is so gifted in the scope of the type of songs he writes. You know, I find him hilarious. I think he does comedy better than anybody else, but he also knows how to touch the core of what folks are dealing with and I think like what is relating to people at any given time. The song No Eye and Beer is an example of that. We talk about that, but we start with probably my favorite Paisley song of all time, Ticks. Brad, um, what's your, your process like? Like to Clayton's point about your creativity, I always wondered like what, what is it that you see that makes you say, okay, I'm going to write a song about a tick, you know, <laughs> or I'm going to like, where does it come from? Well, it's like for things like that, 
that's born out of you start, you know, you've written other things and, and you sit down with these guys to write songs that become your friends and, and you start to get really comfortable exploring crazy stuff. And in that case, like a song like Ticks is a really good example of we'd already written the typical songs. And so we're just looking for something interesting. Um, and I had had a, a line, I can't kind of keep a bunch of lines written down on a, now they're in my phone, but I used to keep like a notepad and of just ideas. And I think I'd had the idea of, I'd like to check you for ticks as a joke kind of song, you know, funny song. And, and um, I was thinking it would be a line in a song, like not like some, some song just about going out in the woods or something and talking about a girl. And, and instead I started, we were writing and I remember sitting there with Tim Owens and Kelly Loveless, who I wrote it with. And I was like, I just said, well, what if the whole chorus was just leading to that line? Can we do that? And, and I said, like, basically like it was conversational. Like it's, you know, I'd like to see you out in the moonlight. I'd like to kiss you way back in the sticks. I'd like to walk you through a field of wildflowers and, and I'd like to check you for ticks, you know, as if, as if it's a serious thing, like, and I'd like to check you for ticks, uh, if it, because after where we've been, that's probably important. Um, you know, and it's like, we laughed and we we're like, nah, we can't get away with that. But we ended up finishing the song and then I went and cut it and made it this kind of rocking record out of it. And I'll never forget my manager taking it into the head of the label and sitting it on it and just hitting play. It was the first, ended up being the first single off that album. And mm -hmm. then the head of my label came out of his chair when it got to the hook and went, oh my, that's it. We're doing that. That's crazy. Oh, really? So that came out and a friend of mine named Rivers Rutherford, who's a really great songwriter, serious songwriter, writes great songs, wrote When I Get Where I'm Going for me. Um, he is, he's great. And he's also unabashedly honest. And he was driving down the road and he heard it and he had not heard about it. So he's driving and he hears the hook come through and here's this serious Nashville songwriter. And he called me and went, well, they're just going to let you get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was mad. He was mad at me. Oh, my God. But no, it's, you know, it's fun. So this summer we were sitting on the couch in our basement and we were watching some family movie like Cars for the 18th time. And my daughter had her head in my lap. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, you have two two things in the back of your head. And, and I was like, we, we got the phone and we, we saw little legs. And so she had two little ticks and we had to pull them out. And it was so my husband had to do it. Cause I was almost passing out. But anyway, it brought me back because the next day we were doing chalk art outside. And I was like, you know, Sibby, there's actually a song about ticks. I'm going to play it for you. So it was this really <laughs> funny moment. And she, it, it was just, cause she, and she loved it. Cause she's like, Oh yeah. Um, but you know, what's interesting to me. So no eye in beer, that song, you know, and, and Clayton, I know you're in that video too. I love it. Um, I was the best vocals in that, right, Brad? Was I the best vocals? You were really good. We barely had to tune you, hardly at all. Good, good, thank you. But we did tune you. Okay, just a little. It's a huge compliment. <laughs> but you hit on everything that I think um, that when I look back at this pandemic time too, like just the the, the drive-by birthdays, you know, the there was such a relatability to that. Um, Clayton, what do you think about that song? I loved it. Yeah. Just like you said, I think it was so fun to, well, first of all, just to be a part of it was super cool. I love getting to be a part of it. And then just the idea of, you know, like you said, it just relates to what everybody's going through right now, you know, and, um, there isn't an iron beer because we're all going through it and we're all doing the same stuff and, um, handling it obviously differently, but kind of going through it all in the same way. So I think it was, uh, I mean, I loved it. That was great. Yeah. I, I was thrilled to have him in it. I mean, to me, it encompassed, so much of just being able to have all walks of life in that um, right now, just the, just the idea that, I mean, again, it really is a strange, strange time and we will never forget this in our lifetime. I hope it's the only time we go through it. Um, you know, just this idea of this strange year where you played a, basically a, what, a third of a baseball season and a, uh, and I haven't done but three tour dates. And I mean, 
you know, no one, I didn't get to watch a single Dodger game this year in person. I mean, it's a weird time, but I'm inspired. Uh, the song, the song was meant to be like, Hey, yeah, it kind of sucks right now. Let's drink. <laughs> and it was, it was nice to have a, uh, my favorite athlete in that video. Yeah. Peyton was in there also, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peyton was in there too. Yeah. He was in there too. Yeah. Peyton's not around. So you got to deal with me. <laughs> oh, that's true. I just, yeah. no, you're, 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 the more he, Makes me look foolish the more you rise up in the ranks. All right. That's good. He's retired anyway. He's out. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> Has been. We did the ESPYs the one year he uh, he hosted it, and they said that he rehearsed it, his uh, opening monologue, 21 times. Yeah. And have you guys heard that psychology thing? I know NASCAR drivers talk about it. Like, if you do something 21 times, it's a habit. Oh, I've that heard that be. with, like, eating habits and stuff. Yeah. 21 days or something. Right. He is the type. I mean— I've seen it with the commercials we do. I think he brings to that what he did as a quarterback. He was such an analytical, like statistical, like mind back there that that's how he approaches when we film. It's like they'll he'll he asks questions like an actor does. He's like, OK, so if I'm standing over here, shouldn't I be looking that way? And if I don't know, and he's like, Brad, well, how are you going to say it? And it's just like it's it's an amazing thing that an athlete has that instinct. His opening monologue of that ESPYs was the funniest thing. I've, I mean, I laughed so hard. He's a comedic genius, <laughs> and it's not really normal. Is he funny like that in real life? Like, is he is he Brad Paisley funny? I, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, he's, uh, I think so. I mean, he he has a different thing. He does like, a, um, he's a practical joker. Did you know that about him, Clayton? Like what he does? Like No, uh-uh. Like he's got... He constantly, like, he seems real buttoned up, you know? Yeah. And he'll say, you know, he's like, good to see you, Basil. What's going on? And, you know, whatever. But meanwhile, he's doing something over here to mess with you <laughs> the minute he meets you. Like, there's a, there's a great video on YouTube of him where a reporter was going down the sideline at, like, training camp. And they were passing down the, the water bottle, you know, to spray in their mouth. And, the, and, and you see... Peyton talking to the guy on the camera and he's like, he's like, well, he's like, you know, we're going to have a great season. And the next one was like his receiver, the next one, like doing stretches and they were all taking, and you see him undo the water bottle cap and, and all the, almost all the way. And, and he hands it back to the reporter and he's like, he's like, so, you know, things are going to be good. And he still goes back to stretching and you see the camera still on him. He's like, and then the camera pans over and you see the next receiver just dump the whole water thing over his face. That's, that's yeah, that's awesome. He's always doing that. Like a friend of mine handed him, the, uh, Kevin Nealon, the comedian, was at Saturday Night Live. And he, Eli and Peyton were both there for that like 50th or whatever it was. And he hands, he says, it, it, Kevin's like, hey, can I get a selfie with you guys? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, Eli, come here. And so he brings over Eli and then he he's like, here, take the phone, Eli. And they take the selfie with like, he's like, Eli's got long arms, you do it. So Eli like takes the selfie and then, and then he, and he like distracts Kevin. And this is a comedian on Saturday Night Live. He's distracting Kevin while he's talks to him for a little bit. And then Eli hands him his phone back and Kevin goes to look at the photo and his entire phone is in Chinese now. <laughs> and they, they literally hacked the phone. And changed, and he couldn't figure out like how to. That's amazing. And then later on, he's like, "Hey, Neilan, get any messages today from anybody?" <laughs> oh my <laughs> just, god, can you imagine? But yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff that he's a little warped, you know. So yeah, Clayton's my favorite. Clayton's by far my favorite athlete. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What do you miss most about the road? Uh, just every everything about it. It's funny. Even the, I miss the things I th I was sick of too. Now, like you know, I miss I miss the I miss the fourth date in a row where it's like I just want to go home. Mm -hmm. I'm at home, and and I miss the things that 
got old and you know, it's, we'll never take that for granted again if we get to do it. Cause it's like, we just, I, I used to make, I used to say, I used to say, you know, the one thing they can never take away, they, they'll steal music online digitally and they'll, you know, music has gone through a metamorphosis that's not necessarily been for the better, you know, economically and everything, but at least they can't take away the live performing. I used to say that, you know, we'll always have that. We can always go play shows and people want to see that. And boy, they found a way. So it's like, we won't take that for granted ever again. The next time you're playing for anybody, even a small room full of people, it's like, here we go. This is, this is fun right here. I keep thinking about how much this all comes back to what you just said and like the people factor of it, you know, right. And like, for me, covering sidelines, I've seen a totally different perspective now because without fans, obviously, which the teams don't like, but you hear more, you see more, but it just reminds you how important it is, the, the people factor of all of it, which to me also makes me think about family, right? And that's something that I I was curious about as a thread that you guys share because it's like the band, the team, the family, the extended family and the importance of that and the camaraderie, right? That is so much of your all's daily lives. Yeah. And Clayton got to do that this year. Uh, we had really rare opportunities to do that, but just not really. And so, I mean, you guys must have bonded in a way that you, I mean, you, you know, you basically went on or you shared a hotel for the whole month of October. Really, yeah. Right? And it was great. I, I think, um, you know, during the season, we had to be so careful to not get it. So we were basically, um, basically at home into the field. And then my family specifically, you know, you can't, um, they couldn't really go anywhere. And so they were isolated for those two months before the season ended. And then once the season ended and we got to go into the bubble, it was awesome because it was almost like a reunion because we hadn't seen any of the, you know, the wives hadn't been together, the kiddos hadn't been together. So literally we overtake this hotel and we have 50 kids running around all the wives. And it's just, um, <laughs> it was much needed, you know, just to have that, the social aspect, because it is a whole family affair. That season's a long season, uh, normally. And, um, you know, the wives need each other, the kids need each other because that's kind of our only social circle for that, you know, whole time. So it's been, um, they, they had a blast. It was, it got old living in a hotel for a month, but it was, uh, it was well worth it. And, um, it was a ton of fun too. So were you all in like really tight quarters in a hotel for a month or was it pretty like, you know, you had room and yeah, it depended, you know, some, some guys, you know, the single dudes or that, uh, you know, maybe just married or things like that. They kind of just had a hotel room. Um, but the hotel we stayed at had some like outdoor spots where you could kind of go out and they had some grassy spots, kiddos run around. So, Thankfully for me, the old guy, I had, uh, you know, I have three kids, so I got to have a little bit more space, got to have the kids run around a little bit. So it was good. It was good. I think uh, I I had asked, I'd written Turner after one of the games and I said, um, I said, you guys, that must just be like baseball camp, right? And he's like, <laughs> felt like that, yeah. And I was like, is it a blast? And he's like, yeah, except the other team stays here too. <laughs> oh yeah. Which awesome. had to be weird. It definitely was weird, but so like there is a little walkway through the hotel. And so every time we beat a team the next morning, you would see them kind of take almost like the, <laughs> the walk of shame through the hotel into the bus. Right. And um, not that you ever wish bad on anybody, but it was kind of funny to watch. Did you have any conversations with guys you struck out like in the hotel? Like, or did you guys avoid each other? <laughs> it depended on, it depended on the team a little bit, but um yeah, obviously we pay, we play the Padres so much, so we didn't really right. want to, uh, you know, we, we talked a few, I saw a few guys, you know, I played with Manny, so I talked with Manny a little bit and, um, but the hardest one is Freddie Freeman, right? And Freddie, I know Freddie, he's like the most lovable guy. Um, like great dude. Everybody loves him. He's the nicest guy in the world. He talks to everybody. It looks like he doesn't have a care on the world on the baseball field, right? Like I know I, he's, he's fun to watch that way. Yeah. There's no, there's no stress. There's no like nerves. He just goes out there and I'm like, Freddie, I, I need to not like you right now. You know, I'm trying to get you out. Like, I don't, I don't need to be talking to you. I told him, I was like, Freddie, you're too nice. I want to not like you. So it's easier to get you out. And, uh, 
you know, he just laughed it off. But I mean, it, it really did feel like that sometimes just seeing everybody. Yo, I saw his, his son's name is Charlie too. So I used to, I just see them around with my Charlie and his Charlie. And it was funny. Wait, so do you, is that like a real mental thing that you do uh, when you're? It's a lot easier to not know somebody that you're facing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, as you play more and more, you play with a lot more guys. So it's hard to not know everybody, but you know, if you know the pitchers, it's whatever, right? You don't ever have to face the pitchers really. But, you know, if you're buddies with one of the guys that are, you know, hitting and it's just not, you don't have that edge. And uh, they don't, if they don't really know you, they don't know if you're crazy or not. They don't know if you'll, you know, miss in their back or something like that. So uh, you don't really have that edge that you might need. At least, at least I think so. We should talk about hit, what he's like on a pitching day. No, it's like, it's the same as Brad on concert day. It's the same. No, it's not. No, we'll do both. <laughs> Can you tell the story on the, uh, what is it, on the massage table? The TV? No, I, so Brad, before a concert, he'll just talk to you, sit and talk. Like we, I would sit back there and just wait. I remember a concert in Phoenix. I took uh, Ross Stripling. We went back there and I mean, we literally talked to him for an hour. I was like, Brad, do you need to go like rehearse or run through? He's like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. And literally he just walks out on stage and starts playing. And I'm like, man, I am jealous. That is awesome. He just has no <laughs> nerves, no nothing. And and for me, it's like, I'm not, it's not that I'm, uh, antisocial, but I think I have so much like built up like anxiety or nerves that I'm, I have to perform that night that that's the only thing I'm thinking about throughout the whole day. And so I just, uh, I don't really have much brain power to talk about anything else. And so, yeah, I sit on a massage table and basically try to fall asleep or take a nap or watch TV just so I don't like can kind of take my mind off of it. Like and, in the clubhouse? Yeah, in the clubhouse. And if JT always makes fun of me because it's like, oh, it's his table. Don't sit on it. He's going to freak out. And it's like, I'm not going to freak out, but I am just going to ask you if I can lie down. Yeah, I, I'm a little high maintenance maybe on my start day for sure. Somebody came in and like turned a TV on once or somebody it was like, it was Taylor or somebody came in and you were like, you shot them a look. Yeah, like, I've been known to give people some looks on that day for sure. I had a fascinating conversation with Max Scherzer last spring training about that. And they were saying, no, no, it's not superstition. It's routine. I would try to argue it's routine, but some of the stuff that I do would be hard not to pass a superstition, but I will definitely say it's routine. Um, but I definitely try to do the same thing every start day, try to do the same thing every time. And, um, you know, Brad, you know, that glove I wear, Brad, that old crusty glove. So Walker Bueller, he told me, he said, Hey, if we win the world series, this was probably, you know, three weeks into the postseason. He said, if we win the world series, you got to retire that glove. And so I took him up on it. And so I, I've retired the glove. It's been uh, basically my whole career. So I'm going to use a, use a different glove next year. And that's a big deal for me. So as cool as that is, it's a big deal. So, but you, and the glove you use is wider. Right? Yeah. Well, it's just so old that it has no like. It's like you've literally got like a poster board in front yeah, of you. No, it's not. Face. It's so old and gross, but it had a good run. It served its purpose. Well, I've heard that you do that too to hide the, you're, you're, it's, it's a really great, you have a great method of hiding your, not tipping your pitches. Oh yeah. That, that has something to do with it too. You have like an old guitar you use every time or something or no? I've got some that are like, like, see that one? The, yeah, the, that Paisley one. That's, that's, that's my old, uh, that's, that's kind of, I'm known for that. That's like a 68. What are your superstitions on stage or, or before? I don't have any that have to do with stage, but I do. I used to, I, I had more with things like award shows and stuff, you know, like wear a certain good luck charm or something. But as far as like concerts go, the difference between Clayton and I, like Clayton's like, how do you just, you just walk out there? It's like, yeah, but see, in my case, no one's rooting against me. <laughs> they paid to see you. Yeah, right. no, they're not typically hoping I fail that day. There's a lot of people wanting Clayton to fail that day. There's 29 other teams that want him to fail that day. Yeah, that's fair. Me, I mean, there's only a couple guys in the audience that want me to fail that night. A couple of boyfriends or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Is there um, a song that you're kind of, that you don't love having to play all the time? Well, I don't know. I mean, ask, if you asked me that last year, it might have been, I might have had an answer, but I not at this point. I'm not tired of anything right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really, the, the songs that got old are the ones that didn't react. And so they didn't stay in the show anyway. If they didn't react, they weren't a hit. So it's like, yeah, there's songs that just didn't, it's, there's songs that went number one that didn't, 
didn't react. So, you know, there's songs people go to concerts. It's like, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like, you know, people think of a number one record as meaning that's the epitome of a career song, but it's not always the case. Like there's songs of mine that didn't go number one. Whiskey Lullaby didn't go number one. Um, it went to like three. Alcohol went to two. Um, things like that. But I can't imagine doing a show without those. You know, and then there's songs that sat at number one for two or three weeks, but I could leave them out and no one would know. So it's always, those are, those are the ones that don't, don't stick around. When we were talking about the World Series, um, Brad, is there, what, what in your career would be the equivalent of accomplishing that? Uh, that I think that would be Entertainer of the Year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the big award in country music. Um, and, you know, winning that felt like I'd won the World Series. I think. And then same with career wise, you know, it's interesting. We have, we have two things in country music that are kind of Clayton will, Clayton will be in the hall of fame. Uh, Everybody says that and knows that. Um, And that day, let's not, let's not rush that, but that day will get here and it'll be an amazing thing. But that's like, like for you, Clayton, I imagine you don't even think about that. Yeah, I think when you're on a team, right, you just like, all you really care about is winning with that team. And then, you know, I think whenever you, at least you can always play, you know, you, you'll always, you know, unless you got a bad back or something, we'll always be able to play a performance or concert. And I don't, I don't know how many years I got left, you know? And so I, uh, I just try to enjoy them while I can. Cause like you said, this year, especially has just gained perspective on how much fun it is to perform in front of, you know, a home crowd full of Dodger fans, you know, just can't wait. Oh, I bet. You both talk about, like, when you talk about getting to the top, what would you say is looking back now, the thing that was the hardest to, to overcome or the one thing like, you know, Clayton, you talked about it, like any struggles are now, it almost makes it sweeter, right? What is the it for both of you? Um, well, I think for me, I, I, you know, I had to kind of figure out what I was going to be and rise above what was happening in country music at the time, which was that they weren't letting new artists in when I came out. When I was new, a new artist had not had a number one song or top to chart or really broken out in about four or five years. they, They just kept trying to put new artists out in the late 90s, early 2000s and and they just kept failing. And uh, like artists would go out and they'd have a lot of momentum and then a song would get to maybe 20 and then it would stall. And there was just like, I guess, bars on the door somehow. And and um, in my case, I got, I wrote a song called He Didn't Have To Be, which ended up being oh, yeah. like setting the woods on fire at the time. And it was not meant to be a single. It was a, the story of my friend from college and him adopting a kid and, um, you know, all this. And, and uh, we wrote it very personally for them. And the next thing you know, there it goes. And uh, it was a big lesson in, oh, man, I guess if you're just being truthful, you're going to get a lot farther than trying to sort of overthink what a hit would be. And uh, it got me through the door. And it's the only reason I'm talking to you today, I think. And that's that's what I had to overcome is I, I lucked out. I, I, I really, it was lucky that that was my song that got me through, or I don't know if I'd still be here. Wow. That's a great story. And it, I mean, and you hear that in sports all the time. I feel like I hear that week in and week out with uh, football players, especially young guys that come in and, and they'll say, I realized that I didn't have to press, you know, that it was really just sticking to who I am and what I could do. It's fascinating. What about you, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like I wouldn't have even talked about it before, you know, winning a World Series because it's just too hard. But, you know, I think every year I've had, you know, I've been in the playoffs now since 2013. Um, every single year I've been in the playoffs and my first two years as well, 2008, and 2009. So I've basically been in the playoffs 10 out of my 13 years and uh, uh, won one World Series. And, you know, before this year, it would have just been like, how do you, how can you not get over the hump? And, 
um, you know, every year was a different reason, but it ultimately ended with me on the mound, most of them. And so it was just like, um, it was just hard, you know, winning the world series is hard. And then every year, you know, when you're on a team as good as the Dodgers are, um, the pressure mounts because they expect to win. And so if you have those failures, you know, kind of saddled on your back as you go, it just kind of gets harder and harder and harder. And so, um, that's what I talked about when I had that weight lifted, just to be able to finally do it and overcome it and, um, get to do that. And, uh, just so happy for everybody that, you know, has stuck with it, has stuck with me, has stuck with our team. You know, it's just been, um, like I said, it made it a little bit sweeter, I think. And now, you know, going into another year, I think without that weight, you know, on our shoulders, it might make, you know, there's always going to be pressure to win when you're on the Dodgers, but I think not that having that added pressure might, you know, make it, uh, a little bit, less stressful. How'd you get through those when you were in it? How do you get past it? I don't know if you ever get past it. I think you just kind of like pledge through. Yeah. You just kind of absorb it. And, uh, you know, it probably, yeah, I think coming home helps, you know, like, um, having an off season away and just kind of, you know, reset, understand that like, Hey, baseball is important to you, but it's not the most important thing. And, seeing your family and seeing your kids and how much they really don't care if you win or lose, which is helpful. Um, except Charlie, if I don't, if we don't win and he doesn't get to go running on the field and like slide in the dirt, he's going to be pretty mad at me. So that's one thing I got to do. But he's playing, right? Charlie. Yeah. He plays a little bit, you know, I think maybe when we're actually having seasons again, he'll get back into it. But, um, right, right now it's just star Wars. That's it for him. Hey, I, wait a minute. I know, I know, I know. Uh, we he's, talked about this uh, a couple of years ago. I'm like, are you excited about the new Star Wars movie? And he's like, I don't really like Star Wars. I didn't say oh, I didn't no. like it. I just said I haven't spent the time to understand it. Yeah, I, I felt I felt as disappointed as if, <laughs> I don't know. I. It was like I wasn't sure we could be friends anymore at that point. You'd be yes. very happy to know that he wears a Stormtrooper costume or a Darth Vader costume oh, every I love single it. day. Okay. Well, I know what I'm getting you guys for Christmas now. Oh, Santa is fired up for what's coming. He's Wait, excited. and Brad, don't you don't you watch sports with William Shatner? Uh yeah, we have. Mm-hmm. He's one of my buddies. I love him. That's cool. He's an amazing. Yeah, I used to go. Bill, he still does from time to time. Well, he didn't this year as much, but he has Monday night football parties where he he's Canadian, but he got way into. NFL football and he has the most amazing group on Mondays come over to the house to watch football on this huge screen TV. And it's been an amazing, there been, there was a night where it was him and Patrick Stewart and you had both captains of the enterprise and at halftime in the football game, they got up and did like a whole like routine on cricket versus football from, because he's British. And then and then the the two of them sitting in chairs looking at a big screen looked like the bridge of the enterprise with Picard and and Kirk sitting there it's Clayton if you're ever off on a monday during football season in LA we got to go over and watch football bills yeah that could happen i bet we usually get mondays off sometimes that'd be good yeah it's like the great the greatest monday night football experience you've ever seen because he's and he's a great just guy he's a great host I, i'm in on that for sure yeah we'll do that Okay. So you've now fully invested in the Star Wars um, episodes, and are you? Are you watching the Mandalorian, Clayton? I have not started that yet. That will flip you out. I've heard that's good though. It's great, but you've invested in like Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars, all that. You've seen them. Charlie has seen uh, the first two, so he's he's invested. Um, some of it gets a little scary for him, so we got to kind of edit, but we have watched the first two. Now. I've seen Charlie. Nothing's too scary for Charlie's scary. He's a monster. That's yeah. what's scary. He's so big. My son Jasper watched Charlie back like at the at the presser that time. Remember when Charlie was just all over the room? And yeah. Jasper made a comment. He said, if Charlie was the size of a normal human being, he would rule the world. <laughs> was his, his assessment of Charlie. So He's like true. the Hulk. Brad, what are your kids into? And what do you, do you take them with you in a normal situation a lot? Uh, not a lot, but they're, they're, they're into, uh, all kinds of things right now. I mean, um, Star Wars, uh, they've been watching Doctor Who, which is this strange thing I'm not even into, which is like a British show. I don't know where they discovered it, but they watched that with their granddad, with my dad, for some reason they watched that and 
they're into, um, they, you know, they go through things. They, for a little while it was Marvel movies, uh, and it is still, but there's a little break in that right now. And, um, they love the Dodgers. They, they see me, you know, that's, that's kind of on for us any given night. There's a game that's just kind of on in the background. Like that's, that's on. And I'm watching to some degree, um, on nights when Clayton pitches, we really kind of focus on it a little more. I, I just keep up, you know, it's like throughout the, the, that's the fun part about a baseball season is you get so fired up and then you realize, oh man, it really doesn't matter till the end, but it's, it's really fun to, this was a really fun season because they really, it just looked like you had a trajectory this year that was, a, you could breathe easy a little better. Yeah. And you can feel it, right? Isn't it sort of, it's the chemistry. I mean, is that, is that true? Or do you think that's sort of BS sometimes? Uh, yeah, chemistry's winning. You know, you win, you're going to have chemistry. But I do think our group of guys was um, having that same mindset. You know, I think a lot of different people are potentially, you know, on a team and they have, you know, everybody has individual goals. You know, they want to make it in the big leagues. They want to take care of their families. They want to, all that stuff. But, um, I, the group of guys that we had, we obviously all have that, but the one common goal was that we wanted to win. And, um, you know, I'll give Mookie a lot of credit there. I think Mookie kind of put us over the top and kind of solidified that approach, um, starting in spring training and JT's always been that way. You know, he grew up in LA and so he's always known what it would mean to win a world series out there. And, um, you know, those two guys, and then, um, you know, obviously with Walker, who's just like a, a gamer and just fun. And, um, it's actually been really good for me to have him around, just like kind of see how he goes about it. And it's basically the complete opposite of how I do it. And, um, I think it kind of rubs off on each other and it's been good for both of us. And I mean, I could just go down the list, you know, J jock is probably, jock's probably the, like the best as far as getting everybody involved like funniest dude can make fun of anybody and um can take it with the best of them and i just just love that so um just just everybody it's just a great group and i i miss them now and i'm gonna miss jock and uh kike and jt if they don't come back you know they're all free agents right now so i hope we can at least get some of them back and you know go for it again yeah that's a, it's such an an interesting thing thinking about that the teams and then when teams are disbanded and and just what that feels like. Cause yeah, you're a family. Um, Brad, I, I wanted to ask you about the store, you know, because we, we talked about Clayton's, um, philanthropy. And I think what you and your wife, Kimberly, who I, I think is amazing, by the way, um, you know, this is such an awesome thing that you're doing with the store. And I just was curious, like, you know, what, what does that mean to you to be able to do that? Um, you know, you've got the money, you've got the fame, but being able to give back in that way, it's been, it's been amazing in this time to not feel so helpless. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a terrible feeling when all this is going on and, and you just feel like you can't do anything. And I don't know how my mindset would be if we didn't have that. We, we just, we, we had been working on this for a while. And even the summer before we launched Clayton honored us at the, at, at your Kershaw's challenge event before we had even opened our doors, which was so nice of them oh, wow. to raise awareness on what we were trying to do in, in Nashville. We opened our doors the first week of March, got our permits and started sort of serving families the way we envisioned for about four days. And then the pandemic hit and we've ended up, you know, having to now become a, a delivery service that sort of takes food to elderly and um, allows people to come get their groceries, but they don't come in and shop like we envisioned. Not yet. Um, but we have, I, they were at, as of this week, we've done 900,000 meals in Nashville. And, um, that's so cool. That's like five times what we expected to do in the first year, but that's because of everybody's hurting and, you know, and, uh, I'm just, I, I'm really thankful we have it. Uh, it's, it, it's divine. It worked out. The timing's perfect. And in that sense, in that we, if I didn't have this, I don't, I don't, I just would feel like completely helpless. You know, it's a great way of, we've invested in that as something that's getting us through this, this time period. All right, guys, X's and O's rapid fire. Both of you. Okay. If I weren't an athlete or an artist, I would be what, Brad Paisley? A spy. Good answer. 
Unemployed. <laughs> that's it. There's... I got one skill, and I just that's it. Well, I heard you're a really good football player too, right? That, that, that's ship sailed. Yeah, he could have played professional ping pong, but I don't think he'd be like topping Forbes list. So yeah, I, I... <laughs> you can work on that when you retire. Exactly. All right. Right. One thing that I make sure to do before I take the field or the stage, Clayton. Eat a bowl of cereal. Any kind? What, what kind specific? Y- usually uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. Nice. Brad. Uh, before I take the stage, mm-hmm. uh, make sure my fly is zipped. It's literally like this, you know, that motion where it's like, okay, yeah. I've had that. I've, I've had that. You know, my husband, really? that happens to oh, him right. all the time too. And I'm like, what's going on? No, it's like, uh, there's been times where literally I look at my bass players going, he's like playing and he's like, <laughs> and, he's- <laughs> and I'm like, and I'll like turn around, be playing and I'll just turn around and <laughs> That's awesome. hope that nobody's got a YouTube video worth posting. <laughs> if you are making dinner for Ellen or Kimberly, what are you making, Brad? Uh, <laughs> uh, for Ellen, it'd be totally different. Oh, well, I meant Kimberly um, for you, your wife. For Ellen, we'd order out. There's no way I'd put Ellen through that. Um, <laughs> for me, we we actually partnered up with a company called Tiller & Hatch, which has helped out the store a lot, but I'm not throwing this out to plug it. I'm throwing it out because it's amazing. They're 12 min- or they're like $12 pressure cooker meals. You dump them in a pressure cooker and four minutes later or six minutes, I don't know, eight minutes, it's done. And it's like the best like stew you've ever had. So I can do that. That's about it. Oh, wow. Clayton. I'll go burger. I can do like a burger, corn on the cob, Brussels sprouts on the grill. That's probably my main and only thing I can do. You're a great, yeah. You're yeah, a- no, no grill mastering, but I can do that. Did Brad get a World Series ring? <clears throat> great question. Can I get mine first and then I'll work on Brad? Right. Yeah. I'm not sure they give them to the guy that sang the anthem at game two or something. I don't you know? know. They they should. We should just give them to everybody. You need a, um, yeah, you need a ring and you need a parade and you need some other things first that you will get. Um, Brad, what's your walk-up song? Oh, you know what we did for a long time was the uh, theme from Stranger Things. Oh. You know, dum, 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 dum. That we, we would play that like as I was walking up. It was always really cool. That's awesome. Because it just made you go, that's not what I expected. And then for a while, it was theme from Dukes of Hazard. Oh, I love that. Yes, sir, good old. <laughs> All right, um, Clayton, what's your encore? Probably I Believe I Can Fly, Space Jam. I can probably wow. sing that the best out of any song. Like when I'm in the shower, I feel like I sound almost as good as, is it Brian McKnight? I don't know who's singing. I think that, but almost as good as him. Yeah. I'm sure he'd agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give us a sample? I believe I can fly. Oh, I believe I can touch the sky. You want more or no? Is that it? Just a bit outside. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, not awful, right? I think that would be it, though. I love singing that one. That wasn't bad at all, actually. That was really good, I thought. The other one would be maybe like a Josh Turner song, like real low. Would you go with me? No, don't do that. Yeah, no, I can't do that either. I know. I'm sorry. Leave that to Josh. All right. My kids think I'm annoying because. Oh, I thought you were going to tell us. <laughs> Oh, they're my kids. Oh, they're, 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 the list is too long. Uh, for me, it's like uh, they think I tell dad jokes and I tell them, look, I kind of am a professional comedian at times and they don't believe me. I, they think my jokes are not funny, but I just think they're not smart. <laughs> them, not my jokes. My jokes are smart. My children aren't. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Clayton, why do your kids think you're annoying? Well, now it's because I ask them how their days at school are. And it's like, they used I, my kids have never been to school, right? We've been playing baseball or whatever. And as boring as that sounds, I just like, Hey, how's your day at school? And they're like, dad, stop. And I was like, just, just answer one question. Like, what did you do? Just, just do that for me and I'll let you go. And they still don't. And I don't know what they do. So. I listened to a webinar that, um, there was a, a psychologist who said that instead of asking the question, you should turn it into a statement and say, tell me about not how's your day at school? Tell me about your day at school. And I've been trying this on my son and it's not really working, but I think we might get there. It's worth a soon. shot. I'll give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Give it a go. All right. Last question, because I believe everything in life can relate back to fishing. That's something I grew up doing with my dad. And like, it's still the memory that we hold the best thing about fishing. Both of you, Brad. Uh, I think it's that it's like the closest, I think it's Zen. I think it's like you, it's like meditation. You like it, you cannot go through your tackle box, tie a lure, throw it, try to decide where you should throw it, then repetitively work the action of that lure, finally catch a fish, take the photo inevitably that you might take with your phone, put it back without forgetting everything else. You forget the things that are on your mind. Clayton? I saw your picture with you took your daughter, right? Yeah, well, I was trying to find it. I don't know if I'm going to find it in time, but uh, we she just caught the biggest fish that she's ever caught. Um, Ellen's family has a ranch about an hour and a half from here. And uh, it was probably like a, th- a three and a half pound bass. And I think that I think the best part about fishing now for me is to see how much Charlie and Callie love it. Um, just to be out there and they feel so like, empowered to do that and like they can cast their own reel now and they can reel it in they they might need some help sometimes and then they want to like hold the fish i just i i don't know i think that like like brad said i think there's something just like uniquely special about doing that and um i love it it's awesome yeah my dad used to wake me up to do it at like six and i didn't even care (laughs) you know i just go like yeah let's go you're in the dark walking down awesome you guys rock this is so much fun thank you for having us yeah this is great thank you for being open we could we could go much longer but i know y'all are busy peeps um but thank you i appreciate it i wish i was busier but i get it (laughs) (laughs) thank you this was super fun thank you i appreciate you getting us together have a great rest of the whatever this is (laughs) you too i hope to see you again soon thank you so much brad thanks guys no problem thanks a lot bye Oh my goodness, what a fun conversation to be a part of. And guys, for me, that was so surreal. So I just want to take a moment to process and share my takeaways. I grew up being a huge fan of Brad Paisley's music. So sitting there talking to him and hearing the stories behind his songs, I mean, that was awesome. And Clayton Kershaw is someone that I covered for years at ESPN. And it was so cool to hear his story, especially overcoming the failures he had had leading up to them finally winning the World Series. But I want to start with fishing because for me, when they both talked about what that means to them, that really is something that I grew up doing with my dad. And we would do it every summer at the beach. He would walk in, wake me up super early. We would go out there and it became this routine of something I really looked forward to. And it was peaceful. It was this bonding experience. We didn't even really say much when we were out there, but just the whole feeling of it, the toes in the water, the patience it takes. And to me, that really represents family. And that's something that stuck out to me from the start with Brad and Clayton. In fact, we were supposed to do this interview a few days before it actually happened. And I had a family emergency. My brother-in-law, Lawrence, lost his battle with colon cancer. And we had the service the day that the interview was taking place. When I reached out to tell both of these men that I needed to reschedule, they both right away reached out through their teams and said, oh my goodness, please, tell her family first, we understand. And to me, that just showed, you know, not only their kindness, but their character. So the other thing that both of these men talked about that I was really drawn to was the fame and the fact that it's not about the Grammys. It's not about the World Series, the wins. It's really about what you do with that and the amount of philanthropy they do. I just, I find it incredible and inspiring. There are two things though, that really stuck out. One of them, when Brad Paisley was talking about how he lost it watching the Dodgers win the World Series. The way he described that took me back to a moment. And I was thinking about it as he was saying it. When the Nationals did win the World Series in Game 7 down in Houston, I was there and I was covering the team and and what they were doing for the station I used to work for in Washington, WRC. I was on the field and I remember watching players and realizing that some of them were frantically looking for their families. And I saw it on one player's face. And I was like, whoa, he was desperately trying to get through the mob of teammates and media. They were looking for their wives, their kids to be able to celebrate. And to me, that moment symbolized 
all the sacrifice, all the hard work he had been through. And so when Brad talked about that and seeing the videos of these players and watching their stories and getting so emotional, it really resonated with me. And that really, to me, says how sports is so big, you know, and anything you achieve in sports, though, is about so much bigger. And I think the same goes for music. And on Brad's side, him describing the songwriting and the story behind the song, He Didn't Have to Be, that is a theme that has come up for me in a few different episodes that we've done for this podcast. It's the narrative of sticking to yourself and what you believe in. And if it feels right, it's not about pressing and trying to be someone you're not. It's about, for his example, this one song that he didn't think would be a hit, really ending up being something that was very significant in his career. And it was a song about someone that he loved and he was just truly writing from the heart. So those are two things that I took away. There was so much more. I mean, Clayton Kershaw singing, I think that's amazing. The fact that he's using a new glove for the first time in his career after winning the World Series, I don't get that, but I think it's awesome. And I'm so glad he shared. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. This is a reminder to please follow us, subscribe to The Artist and the Athlete with Lindsay Zarniak, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Instagram. You can do that with me at CZ or with Sony at Sony Podcasts for all things The Artist and the Athlete. We can't wait for you to join us next time. See you soon.